You guys ready to get in the Word this morning? Do you believe God has something for you? Do you hope that He has something for you? You know, if you, if you come hungry, you'll leave full. But if you come already full, you'll probably think, oh, you know. So there's something about when we come expecting from God that God meets us. You know, God doesn't meet us based on what our needs are. He doesn't just meet, he doesn't go around and say, oh, you have needs, you have needs, you have needs. I'm going to meet those. God meets people where their faith is. He meets people where their faith is. This is how he operates. And so, so you th- see through the scripture that he meets people and he intervenes in their life when there's faith there. Faith is that, that expectation, not just a belief in God, but I'm really believing you, God. I'm really setting my trust, in, my hope, my expectation on you. And so we come to church today to hear God speak a word to us, right? In fact, let's say that out loud. This is our Bible declaration. We, we typically say it before our services, but we like to hold up our Bibles. If you have it, that's all right. If you don't, bring it next week. But say this out loud. This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. Open with me in your Bible to Mark chapter 12. Last week, we kicked off a series called First Things First, and we talked about the love of God, the love of God. If you remember in this passage, uh, Jesus is talking to a bunch of people, and one of the scribes came to him in verse 28, and, and having heard them reasoning together, he perceived that Jesus answered them all well. So he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, let's actually read this verse 29 uh, and 30 out loud together. Can we do that? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. This is the first commandment. So out of all the commandments throughout the scripture, somebody asked Jesus, which one is the most important one? Because there's a lot of commandments in the scripture. There, there, there's hundreds of them. There's things where God gives instruction. And, and somebody says, okay, how do I boil all that down to what is the main one? So it's not that the other ones aren't important, but what is the, the, the one commandment that all others rest upon? Like, if you don't get this one right, then, then the other ones will just be off track. You know, it's the foundation. If your foundation isn't right, then the building's not going to be built correctly, right? It's gonna, you're going to have a lean-to, suppose that, you know, a mighty tower or, or a strong, you know, a strong structure. And so this is the foundation. When Jesus says it's the first commandment, he's not saying that this is the first one that, G, that God gave. He's saying in the, the rank or the, the priority, this is the chief commandment right here. And it's that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Out of all the commandments that he gives, you know, if you go through the Big Ten and he says, like, you have no other gods before me, you don't bow down to idols, you don't take my name in vain, you honor the Sabbath. The first four of the Ten Commandments relate directly to God. The next six relate to how, how you interact with other people, you know, honoring your mother and father, don't covet your neighbor's stuff, don't lie, don't steal, don't, 
drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't dr- date girls who do, you know, that kind of stuff. All those other commandments, he said, the most important one that kind of covers all of that starts off here with loving the Lord your God with everything, with everything. And when you understand this, that God is, is, is giving that as the first commandment, because even though obedience is super important, even under the law of the Old Testament, super important, but our hearts have to be directed to God to love him first. Like he's telling us here that, that even if you obey me, but you don't love me, if you obey me in all these other areas, but you miss this one here, it's, it's almost meaningless. It's, it's really like we might have a good orderly society, but God's not just after an orderly society. He's after the hearts of, of men and women and that we would love him. And he says, this is what you got to do. This is what you have to do. And if you want to get your life in order, you've got to put first things first. If you want to be in a position to receive from the Lord, to move forward with God, to walk in the call of God on your life, you've got to have first things first. And so that's what we started walking through last week, talking about loving the Lord our God. Now, love is super important. Love is super important. I want to show you a picture up here of a couple guys that live at my house here. So this here is Dano and Evie. Dano's the, the one in the front, the black and white one. Evie is the white one. These, these dogs here, we've, got, uh, we've had them for a couple years. I think I, do I have a couple other pictures of them. Look at that. There's Dano. He's a good-looking dog, isn't he? He's built for the snow. And then Evie here, she's goofy, but she, uh, she's a pretty little dog. She, she, uh, she's highborn. She has good papers. Dano doesn't. Dano slumps around like this, but Evie walks with her head up. And these dogs, they love us. They love us. They look to us to feed them. They look to us to pet them, to exercise them, to take care of them, to take them to the vet. They don't want us to take them to the vet, but they look to us for their care, for their food, for their their protection, you know, somewhat. They look aggressive and mean. Huskies will lick you to death. They're not... They'll never hurt a person. They're, not at all. So really, we're protecting them more than they're protecting us. Here's the deal with the dogs, though. As much as they love us, they don't obey at all. <laughs> they don't obey at all. They don't, they don't follow. We have to have a fence. If they can get out of that fence, they will run as far and fast away from us as they can. And you will call their name, and they won't look back. And I know other dogs you can actually train, but not huskies. Huskies don't have that, that built in them to just stick around. You have an open space, they just run. That's, that's what they do. And so they're not that good dog. Like I, I, I tell my family all the time, like one day I'll get a dog and it's going to be a good dog. You know that kind that you could just walk out of your house, it walks next to you, get in the car, it gets in the car, and it just stays there and waits on you all day, that kind of dog? That's a good dog. Huskies aren't good dogs. Those dogs, especially Evie, she's not going to go see Jesus when she dies. I don't, I don't think dogs go to heaven. Yours might. Mine won't. I'll tell you that right now. Because those dogs have gotten out of the fence too many times. They ate all of our chickens. All of our chickens. They ate them. They like chickens. I like chicken, too. They like our chickens. They're not good dogs. You can't train them to do hardly anything. But they love us. Now, understand this, that God's calling us to love him. 
But you know, we also need to follow them. And we, there's the obedience that, that, that follows with that, right? There's the, the obedience that is connected to the love. And so we can't be like these guys here to where we just love God and do our own thing any chance we get. So it's connected closely to obedience. Jesus said if you, in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. I say that to the dogs. If you love us, do what we say. Sit, you know, stop, whatever. Stop barking. But they don't listen. But Jesus says this to us. I wonder, do we listen? Do we listen? Does obedience really matter? Does obedience really matter? That's, that's not hypothetical. What do you think? Does obedience matter? Does it matter? We can't earn God's blessings. Now think about this. You cannot do anything to earn the blessing of God. You can't do anything. You can't work for salvation. On your best day, the most obedient day you've ever had, if you had uh, 50 years, 100 years of it, you still wouldn't earn the salvation of God. You can never be obedient enough to be saved. So knowing that, that there's no works of of righteousness, no good deeds you could do, no acts of obedience that will bring you into God's love or into his favor or or even into his blessing, it's not what you do. Does it still matter? Well, when you read the scripture and you listen to what Jesus says and you listen to what the rest of the Bible says, it talks a lot about obedience, even in the New Testament. By the way, the reason why we can't earn all that is... uh, because, again, one drop of sin, one drop of sin, it, it contaminates the whole. And, and this is why we have Jesus, though. He's done it all. He's earned it. He's paid the price. He lived righteously. And so there's nothing we can do that, that uh, says, Jesus, you didn't pay for it all on the cross. Let me cover it in this one area. There's nothing at all. So knowing that our trust and our hope and everything, our faith is in him, and, and if we're going to make it, it's going to be because of him, we still have to wonder, does obedience matter? Because when we talk about obeying God, we need to understand it's not about salvation. It's not about, okay, if I obey him enough, then I'll get saved. But there is an issue of, of obedience that leads to God's desired outcome for your life. Look at, I'm going to just read a couple of scriptures to you. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? In James chapter 1, verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Obedience is an issue of following. It, obedience is an issue of following. Because Jesus, when he gives us instruction, when the Bible gives uh, uh, instruction on how to live and you know things to do and what, what not to do, it's because Jesus is trying to lead you somewhere. He's not just sitting here thinking, oh man, how do I put rules and establish all these statutes and regulations and, and all these hoops to jump through so that you know they, these guys stay busy enough to not get in trouble. That's not what he does it. Why he does it? Jesus gives instruction because he's trying to lead us somewhere. So if he's wanting to lead us, we have to follow, right, if we want to get there. Well, following is obeying. So when I would say to my dogs, and and he doesn't call us dogs, and I'm not saying that that's our relationship, but there is something we can learn from him. When I tell him to come, come on, come on, and they come, then we can go together. If I say come, and they look at me, 
And this is what they usually do. And then they go the other direction, they're not going to get the desired output or outcome for their life that I have, which could be food, which could be shelter. They get the other outcome that in my heart starts to grow like, I'm going <laughs> to kick you, dog. Right? You got, okay, I, I, I don't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> I don't do that with these dogs here. I've never, I did have a little yappy dog, a little uh, miniature uh, wiener dog. And that thing, that, 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 and would go all day long. And I used to have visions, like it would be on the other side of the door, and I'm thinking, okay, like a bow and arrow, just, pew, you know, like, just get, I know, I shouldn't say that out to you guys. So you guys love dogs, huh? You guys, I got issues, pray for your pastor right here. It was also the dog that when someone would come to the door, it would, it would uh, climb right up onto the couch and just be yapping, and then as soon as someone comes in, it'd roll over and pee on the couch. That, so now you understand. Some of you guys understand. Okay, I have issues, I know, dog issues. But listen, uh, enough about me and my counseling session with animals. God has a desired outcome for you. I'm going to tell you two, two areas he has an outcome for desired outcome. Uh, number one is he wants you to become more like Jesus. He wants you to become more like Jesus. Uh, Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. You know, this is God's plan for you, that you would be conformed, that he's continuously shaping you to the image of his son. Now, you're created in the image of God, but you are being conformed to the image of Jesus. So the character, the nature, the faith, the authority, the life that Jesus lived, and the righteousness, the holiness, the purity, all of that, some of those things are, are, are partially done in you, uh, like you have a born-again spirit when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. But there's other aspects like of your soul, your mind that's being renewed, your faith that's being strengthened. God is shaping you into the image of his son. He's setting you apart. He's making you more like Jesus. And the way to become more like Jesus is to follow him. To follow him, we could use that word really uh, in place of obedience because it's the same thing, to obey him. To follow him is to obey him. To obey him is to follow him. The second thing that God desires for you is heaven on earth. Heaven on earth? That sounds really good, preacher. I want heaven on earth. Well, listen, when Jesus said to pray, he said, pray like this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is wanting his will, just as it would be done in heaven, to be done in your life on earth. He's wanting that to be done in, in your life. God is, has that as a desired outcome and plan for your life. So when we think about what is God wanting to do in my life, he wants to make you more like Jesus, and he wants to, he wants to make your life on earth more like uh, his will in heaven. He's, he's moving us in that direction. Neither of those will be 100% complete this side of eternity, by the way. Not 100% complete. They're not 100%. But boy, we can get a, a lot closer than where we're at. And not through our own efforts, but by following Him. By obeying Him, by lining ourselves up with Him. One of the, so, so we look at that and we think, this is what God wants for our life. I want to talk about a specific area that, that people struggle to relate. Uh, they struggle to follow God in this area. And when we're talking about first things, first I want to talk about how people struggle to follow God and their finances. And, and understand this, that God's economic system, it's designed to work for us in the same way that it worked for Jesus. 
So this isn't just a message about uh, what to do. It's what did Jesus do? Because we're wanting to be conformed into the image of his son. So how did he relate to God's economic system? How did he work within that? Because that's the same system God has for us. And he says, if we'll follow him into this, then we'll see that same kind of uh, provision, the same kind of, of, of presence and power of God show up in our life like Jesus did. So how did Jesus work with the, God's economic system? Well, number one, he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish that didn't even belong to him, <laughs> that didn't even belong to him. Have you ever thought about having people over for dinner and you start thinking, okay, how much is this going to cost? All you need to do is have teenagers, for example. Hey, you guys want to go out to McDonald's? Well, that's going to be $50, you know? <laughs> I remember when, when I was a kid, my, my dad, I remember him saying that, man, even taking you guys to McDonald's is 20 bucks. And now I think 20 bucks, that would be cheap, right? Because <laughs> of, you know, time, I, I was back when everything was in black and white when I was growing up. No, it wasn't that long ago. But, but seriously, feeding people takes money. It takes a lot of money to, to you know, bring in all that food and prepare it and all that. Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children. How did he do that? I thought he's just on a preacher's salary. How's he going to do that? Well, listen, he's working within God's kingdom economics. What he has in his hands are five loaves and two fish. Like I said, it didn't even belong to him. In John chapter 6, verse 9, it says, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Look how, what Jesus did. He said, bring them here to me. Bring them here. And he took what he had, and he looked up to heaven, and he blessed what he had in his hands, and then he broke it, and he distributed it. This is how Jesus related uh, to God when it came to financial matters issues of provision. He knew that heaven had the power to multiply. He knew that when he looks up to God, he's not limited to what he can see with his own hands. This is how he's processing this. If I have uh, faith in God and what he's put in my hands, I have more than enough. This is God's economic system. It won't work for everybody else. It doesn't work out there for unbelievers. It doesn't work for those who won't look to God, but it'll work for you. And it won't make sense to anybody else. And people would hear a message like this from the outside and they would mock it. But when you look at what Jesus did, this is how he operated. This is how he operated. Would you say that some people would say, Jesus is poor. Can a poor man feed 5,000 people plus the women and children? You know, like, can he feed 10,000 people? How many poor people do you know that are out there doing that? Oh, but he was able to do it, not because he had a lot of money, but he understood God's way of providing Second thing is that he, he knew that he had access to earth's abundance. So not only did he operate with access to heaven's multiplying power, but he knew he had access to the abundance that was already put here on earth. You remember in Luke chapter 5, if, you, if you've read this before, Jesus is out uh, preaching and then he tells these guys that are fishermen, he said, let's go out, cast our nets, your nets, <laughs> for a catch. And this was daytime, and they'd been fishing all night, and they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says, well, let's go out into the deep, and you th throw down your nets, and we're going to catch some fish here. Now, these guys aren't uh, recreational fishermen. 
When I go fishing, if I don't catch a fish within like the first 15 minutes, I'm thinking, man, what a waste of time. I'm going to sell all my stuff. Like, this is terrible. What am I doing right now? Like, I hate fishing when I'm not catching. But if I'm catching, it's amazing. I'm like, I love this. I can't wait till my next trip. Fishing is so awesome. And I'm kind of like, you know, I waver when it comes to fishing. These guys don't, didn't do it for fun. They did it for a living, and they weren't making a living that day. And Jesus says, well, let's go, let's go do it again. You go do it with me. And he calls them to cast the, the, the net out. And, and Peter said this, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. What happened there? Jesus knew he had authority over earth's supply, and he had access to it, and he calls it in. There's a way that he's operating and, uh, when it came to provision. These fish was, was not an issue of fun. The fish was an issue of provision. And so this is what he did when he looked at, okay, there is need here. We don't have anything, but if we release our faith and we act in faith, and we do what, you know, what we see the Father doing, and, and we step out there, not in hope or desire, just, man, I, I'm going to try this, but really this a sense of knowing that God, who, who you are, who God is, and what He's called you to do, there, there is uh, provision for you that you may not be able to see. Maybe it's in the deep somewhere, but you have got to say, okay, Lord, where do I go? Where is it? What do I do? And it may come in an unconventional way. And this is how Jesus is telling us to follow him, trust him, to maybe sometimes we need to go a little bit deeper. We need to go a little bit further. We need to, we need to do something that God hasn't, uh, or, or that nobody else would, would tell, tell us to do or understand, but God tells us to do. There's something about the way he related to this when it, come, when it comes to resources. This was an issue that not only um, revealed to them who he is as the son of God, which was their response like, oh, man, you, you, you're the Lord, right? I'm, I, I'm Peter's bowing down to him and saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But there's also the recognition that, that God has access to everything in heaven and on earth. And the, Jesus knew because the Father had it, he had it. And the Bible says that when you are in Christ, whatever is his is yours, Let's look at another one here. Jesus had enough money, enough to give to the poor. Jesus had enough to give to the poor. Uh, more than enough for his own needs and to help others out. How do we know that Jesus gave to the poor? Well, in John chapter 13, 29, when Jesus is sitting with his disciples, he tells Judas, do what you must do quickly. Now, he's talking to Judas about, you're going to go betray me? Go ahead. Get it done. Go on, Right? But other people, they didn't hear that part, and and verse 29 says, for some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things that we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. They're just assuming this because this is how Jesus operated. Do you think Jesus gave to the poor on a regular basis? Do you think he just, he helped out the poor? I think he did. Why would they assume that that's what he said, what he said, when they didn't know what he said? Jesus wasn't poor. Jesus gave to the poor. Jesus had more than enough for his own needs and for the needs of others. And he was a giver and he helped out those who were poor. What I'm just saying is Jesus, this is how Jesus operated when it came to finances, when it came to resources and supply. 
This is what, he, what he's doing. And then he calls us into this relationship with him, and he says, follow me. When he says, follow me, it's not just this hard set of rules and do's and don'ts, but it's look at my faith, look at my character, look at where my trust is. So you ask yourself, how are you following the Lord in these areas? What are some of these things? How are you relating to them? How are you identifying with them here? This is what Jesus is calling us to do. So, so how do we, the question is, how do we position ourselves to operate this way, like Jesus did? How do we position ourselves to do that? How do we line ourselves up, get on track to follow him? Look what Jesus did. Uh, Jesus, he chose whom to serve. When you look at, look at Jesus and how he lived, he made the choice of who he would serve. In Matthew 6, 24 through 33, he said, no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon would be like their idol for money and material wealth. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or what nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Listen to this. He, he, he's pointing out all of creation. He's saying, God feeds them, and you're worth more. This is how I operate. This is, he's not teaching them something that would be really nice if he could apply it too. He's saying, this is, this, is, this is from my heart. This is how I relate to, to Father God. And I, I do this stuff. Don't worry, he says. Are you not more valued than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature, one inch to his height? So why do you, buy, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet... I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what will we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles, those without God, uh, they seek after those. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Jesus made the decision, I'm not going to serve God and mammon. I'm not going to worry about the provision that's needed for my life and my ministry. I'm going to look to God who, if he'll take care of the birds of the air, if he'll take care of the grass and clothe that, how much more will he take care of me? And what God has called me to do, to minister to the thousands of people and, and, and to travel from city to city throughout Israel and, and continually reach out and, and uh, express the, the plan of God and, and prepare to give my life, I can't be worried about money. <laughs> I can't be worried about provision and where it's going to come from. I can't be distracted by worry. I've got to keep looking to God. See, he chose that. He chose whom he would serve. And the same thing is true for you and I. We've got to choose. Are you going to get all caught up in provision or are you going to get caught up in believing God and looking to him? 
I'm not saying don't work. Jesus worked. He worked hard. He did what God had called him to do. And, and um, he did it consistently and faithfully, and he did it with a great heart. He never backed down. But he trusted the Father. He trusted God to provide and supply. Number two is he understood that how he handled money impacted what he received from God. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10 and 11, he says, if you're faithful with the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? We see Jesus accessing the true riches of heaven. We see him being trusted with the riches of heaven. You know what the riches of heaven really are? What does God consider most valuable? Souls, people, lives. And to be trusted with the provision of heaven as well as the treasure of heaven That right there, it's a huge responsibility and it's an honor. But Jesus said, the way that you handle worldly wealth will affect your access to your authority over your responsibility with true riches. And so when we look at his life, he had open access, full access. So if you back up, you'd realize, how did he deal with finances? How did he deal with finances? Was he faithful? Was he trustworthy? Those are little things. The way we deal with finances, it's a little thing in comparison to what God has for us. And it can open or close access to the true riches of heaven. And so we have to be honest about how we deal with it. And we have to be trustworthy and follow the Lord in his instruction when we're relating to it. Third thing and final thing is this. He knew to honor God with his finances and his heart. He knew to honor God with his finances in his heart. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23, and he says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. See, he's talking to these guys, and, and they, have, they have these works here in one area where they're honoring God to the very smallest little uh, seed. Like they would, the seeds that their, uh, uh, their harvest would produce, they would separate those, and they would tithe. You know, one out of every 10 would go to God. That comes from Leviticus 27.30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. These guys were meticulous about that commandment. They were obedient in that area. And Jesus said, you should tithe. He's telling them this. Do you believe Jesus tithed? Do you think Jesus tithed? I absolutely can guarantee you Jesus tithed because he fulfilled all the law. And Jesus had income. We'll talk about that in a second. But but, uh, Michael, uh, Micah (laughs) 6, 8 says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what, it, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. And so money, Jesus is recognizing, and how you deal with it, it's a small part of the bigger picture. How you treat it, that small part can lead to bigger things. The tithe is a small part of the whole. How you relate to that 
uh, is important, but you can't just get into some financial transaction with God that is mechanical and feel like, because I just do all these things right, and, and I do tithe, which we should tithe, but just because I, I paid my, my tithes, which you don't pay your tithes, you don't pay your tithes, the tithe belongs to the Lord. You don't even give tithes. You bring the tithe to the Lord. It belongs to him. That's why God would say to, to Israel uh, earlier on, he said, you've robbed me. How, how have we robbed you? Well, because you've kept the tithe back. What does that mean? If you, if you steal from somebody, you know, someone could steal from your car right now. That's one thing. But to rob you means they come into your house, right? They come into your presence and they take from you. And God was saying with the tithe, you've come into the house of the Lord and you've taken the tithe that belonged to me. He said that. He's, he's, he's specific about that. Jesus tithed. Jesus tithed. He said you should. But you can't just come into a mechanical relationship with God in regards to your finances and say, well, because I just did all these things, then all this other stuff's going to happen. He said your heart has to be connected. You have to keep your heart engaged. It's not just in one area, but your whole heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, you love him with that. And that's why he's telling these guys here, man, you got to love mercy and justice and righteousness and, and faithfulness. Um, walk humbly before the Lord. Like, like don't disconnect that. Because Jesus, though he would tithe, his heart was connected. That's why so often when we pray over our uh, the tithe and offering, we say, hey, let's present our offering as well as our hearts to the Lord. Now, that's a small piece in here, but how do we live out there? Jesus connected. He, he said, it's all tied together. It's all tied together. This is an area of following him. This is an area of following him. Jesus had to tithe. Jesus had income. Jesus had income. In Luke chapter 8, it says that women provided from them for him from their wealth. They, they supported the ministry. And um, John chapter 12, Jesus tells us that Jesus had a treasurer. Now, how many poor people have treasurers? <laughs> Seriously, people teach the wrong thing about, about, about uh, the Bible, about Jesus. They say all these things about him because the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head because he was traveling. He had a house. Mark chapter 2. He wasn't in someone else's house. He was in his house. He's doing a home group, Bible study. He had a place where he lived. Some, where, where do, you, do you think he camped out in a tent all the time, slept with the sheep, got born in a manger? I don't know what it's like. So when we read the Bible, we find these things out. I'm not saying that he had enormous uh, natural wealth. I, I don't believe that at all. He had more than that. <laughs> he had access to all the treasure of heaven and anything he needed at any time. And that's how God's designed us to live, not uh, necessarily some opulent, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous, just to, you know, show off in front of people. But that all of your needs would always be met, that you'd have an abundance for every good work, that you're not living in lack or worry or fear or wondering if you're going to make it to the next paycheck, that you're not trying to, you know, figure out a way to, to maybe squeeze some more hours in so that you can just make a little bit more money so you can pay for your TV. It's not that, that, that God's called us to. He said, I want to be your source. This is how Jesus lived. And he didn't have to have some, you know, storehouse of gold and silver, but he did have a treasure who carried the finances around. And what did he do with that? He supported at least 12 other guys. Plus, he gave to the poor. Plus, he, you know, so there's resources coming in. He honored God with that. He honored God with that. And 
as a result, when we would go back to what's God's desired result for you to be more like Jesus and that God's will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven, look in Malachi 3.10, where God said, bring the one-tenth of your income into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I would not open the windows of heaven for you and flood you with blessings. Do you think that this is how Jesus operated? Were the windows of heaven open for him? Were they? Did, did he seem to be flooded with blessings? Some people say, well, he just ended up dying. That didn't go for him. That was God's, like, thank God for that, right? Thank God he went, ended up dying, not, not you and me on the cross for our sins. This was, this was the plan of God from the beginning for him. Thank God for that. And it was at that point when he went to the cross, because some people would say, well, Jesus became poor. When, did, when was Jesus poor? When he went to the cross and all the sin, all the sickness, all the, the, the condemnation, all the guilt of us was laid on him. When he was separated from God the Father and he, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was at that point where he was cut off for some, some brief time from the, from the presence of God. And when you're cut off from the presence of God, that's poverty. That's poverty right there. You have no access to the treasure of heaven. You have no access to the provision of God, the life of God. That's when he became poor, right there. And he transferred all that righteousness, all the fulfilling of the law, everything that, that God required, he transferred it to us. It says the, the Bible says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It was right there. That's where it happened at. When Jesus, when Jesus is calling us uh, to follow him, to obey him, he's not calling us to live a life that he didn't live. He's calling us to, to, to look at him as the uh, model for us and then just to trust him. So when we talk about some of these things, which are the areas might be a, even a struggle for you? What's the next step for you? That's where I need to, to move into as well, that, that place of faith, choosing whom I serve, understanding how I handle my money, it impacts my relationship, what I receive from God, honoring God with both my finances and my heart. What you see Jesus doing, you can do. We're called to trust him. We're called to imitate him. We're called to follow him. When we do this out of a heart that's, first of all, loving, when I love God, it makes following him or obeying him so much more enjoyable. It's not a weight or a pressure. It's a, I want to go where you are. I want to become who you want me to become. I want to receive what you want to give me. I want to, I want to be that person. That's what obedience is all about. That's what it's all about. It's, it's not that God is trying to just get people in line. That is not what he's trying to do. He's trying to get us in, in alignment with him. Because there's so much for you to accomplish. There's so much for us to experience for directly from him. So let's do that. Let's position ourselves. Say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to trust you because I love you. Let's pray. Father God, we, we do present our hearts to you right now. Lord, I pray over every single person here that we would look to you, Jesus, as our example, not look to the magazines, not look to who's uh, famous or popular, but we would look to you, Jesus, and we'd say we want to model our life after you. We want to follow you and in every area, and even when it comes to in the, the financial area, which is 
so much of our life is re- it revolves around that. It's affected by that. Let's say this. Lord Jesus, I choose not to worry, but I place my trust in you. I'll honor you in the little things, and I'll be faithful with the big things. Not only will I honor you in my finances, but I'll honor you with my heart and the way I treat others. I declare in Jesus' name that I will walk by faith and that the windows of heaven will be opened over me. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, while every head is bowed and eyes closed, I want to encourage you. If you are here and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never given your life to him, would you do that today? Would you simply pray and say, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I trust that you died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me, to be my Savior, but also be my Lord. Be the one who's in control of my life. We give you our lives today in your precious name. Amen. Amen.